Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life Community Church. We are located at 134 Lakewood Drive in Luling and invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 1030. Please visit our website at newlifeluling.com for more information on our ministries. We pray that this message will encourage you on your faith journey as you seek to live, understand, and share God's Word. Scriptures from 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven in the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and prayer that your servant prays to you today, that your eyes may be open night and day towards his house, the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may heed the prayer that your servant's prays towards this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray towards this place. O hear in heaven your dwelling place, heed and forgive. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. From Egypt to the Promised Land, from the Golan Heights to the Red Sea, from the Galilee to Jerusalem, this is the Holy Land, presented by Educational Opportunities Tours, where you'll walk in the footsteps of Jesus, discover the foundations of your faith, and see the stories of the Bible come to life. Explore the sites central to Jesus' ministry, like Capernaum, the Mount of Beatitudes, the Sea of Galilee, and the Jordan River, where you'll have the opportunity to be baptized there as well. View the land from multiple perspectives, on the Mount of Precipice in Nazareth, at Megiddo, on the slopes of Mount Carmel, and from Masada in the Judean desert. Walk the paths of your faith in Bethlehem, on the slopes of the Mount of Olives, and on the streets of Jerusalem's Old City. Experience the sites central to Christ's passion in the Garden of Gethsemane, along the Via Della Rosa, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and as you celebrate the resurrection at the Garden Tomb. Well, I don't know about the others who went, but my brain was going through all these places, uh, the locations, as we watched even these uh, flashing pictures. Let's go to the Lord in a spirit of prayer now. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, so what's the big deal about going to Israel? I mean, it's just another place in the world, you know, you can go on vacation. But, you know, you wonder why is that any more holy than any other place? But I remember, uh, for me, when I first came to Christ, first committed my life to Christ, I wanted to go there. I wanted to walk in the land where Jesus lived, in the land where Jesus walked, and just to experience that. And when I finally got to go, I, I wasn't disappointed. Now, this was my fifth trip, and it seems like everyone seems to get better because I'm always learning more and experiencing more. And what made it special was that two of the other trips, I was able to bring uh, two of my teenage sons. Um, and then this time, I was able to bring our daughter, Jody. Uh, Matt's, I had to paste his picture in because this was pre-digital, and I couldn't find that, that uh, photograph somewhere of him standing at the garden, um, garden entrance. But um, 
But they got to go during those years, and so that was special. And of course, with Jody going on this one. Uh, a journey to the Holy Land isn't really a vacation. I'm not going to call it a vacation, but it is a pilgrimage. And it's meant to be a journey. It's meant to be a spiritual journey. And even the way that the days were structured, it brought us from some of the beginnings of Jesus' ministry all the way through uh, to Calvary and the resurrection. So it was structured that way. And so it's more of a pilgrimage. It's a spirit of a journey of the heart. Now, this is not the same kind of pilgrimage you would take, you know, if someone discovered the picture of Jesus' face on a tortilla. And, you know, and you wanted to go see that. I've heard they have crowds of people when they find stuff like this, you know, oh, there's Jesus' face and a stop sign. So everybody has to go there to look for Jesus' face. Or, you know, someone does it in their, um, in their grocery store to get everybody there. So, you know, this is, there, there are more important things that happen on this kind of a pilgrimage, on this kind of a journey. The first thing is you know that it's the land of the Bible, and some call the land, now it's not just any other place, but at the land of the Bible. And some call this the fifth gospel. The land is the fifth gospel because it helps you understand the Bible in ways that perhaps you hadn't before. And those events and, uh, and those settings. And, and you know when, when you go to a place, biblical settings like Jerusalem. Jerusalem has layers of history. Because you, you go back to David's time when they first conquered Jerusalem. You go to Solomon. You go to all the different kings that happened in the same location. The temple that was built there. The temple that was destroyed there. And you go through to the time of when the temple was rebuilt during King Herod's time. That was the temple that Jesus visited. And uh, how all of that history is stacked up on each other. And the Bible goes then from, from this two-dimensional thing that you're reading here to almost like a three-dimensional fold-out book, you know, where you begin to see the places um, it, that happen, where things happen. Uh, yesterday, uh, when, when Sarah was reading in, um, in the end of the book of Acts, she was reading about Paul being at Caesarea by the sea. And while she was reading that, I was picturing the fact, because we were just there. We were there, and we, you can picture the place and the location when you read these stories. Now, the second thing is you realize in your mind that the Bible is set in reality. These are real, concrete places. This is not a myth. This is not mythical kind of made-up locations. They're real, they're concrete places. Uh, lakes and hills and people is where it really happened. The gate, I don't know how well you can see that, but the gate that's behind me is one that they found that is the gate to the city of Lakesh. Now, everybody's going, oh yeah, well, you know, <laughs> what that is, is that was where Abraham, remember Abraham back in the book of Genesis? They found this gate that we, we are certain that he passed through this gate because the, the Lakesh had kidnapped his, his nephew, uh, Lot, and he had to go through these gates in order to recapture him. So uh, you begin to look at, this is set in reality. This wasn't just some made-up places. And the third thing is it brings you closer to people and events when you walk or you stand in some of the same places. Now, when you see uh, the same land and the same settings as they did, and we do the same thing here. You know, people go to Civil War battlefields all the time, and they use their imaginations of what it's like. We, we go to plantations. We try to think about what was that like back in that day. Uh, we go to monuments or grave sites or national parks. But the places in the Holy Land 
were the places where the biblical patriarchs lived and died, and especially where Jesus, Jesus our Savior and Lord, the Son of God, came into the world at this place, at this location. And he lived there, and he taught there, and he performed miracles, and he died on the cross, and he rose again and ascended into heaven. Well, after about 15 hours of flying, um, we went to places that were as authentic as you can know. You know, there are some places you're going, I don't know if that's the real place or not. But, you know, at the same time, you're still in the general area. And so there were places that you kind of trace Jesus' life. There's the Church of the Nativity that's there. And that's there in Bethlehem, about eight miles outside of Jerusalem. And when you go to Nativity Square and you enter, it's one of the oldest churches in Christendom. You have to duck your head to get into the tiny door. And some say that uh, it's so that you'll bow. It's the door of humility because you have to bow down in order to enter in. But the real reason why that was there is because they tried to keep the Turks from riding their horses into the sanctuary when the Turks were there. And there's a large auditorium there. Uh, there are no pews there. So you wonder, I guess people just stand when it's time for the, the message. It's Greek Orthodox. Uh, there are brass oil lamps uh, all around. And there is a, a large olive wood altar, but right now it's under repair, so it was kind of behind a big white banner. Um, and all this is with the Greek Orthodox Church. You walk behind the altar, which is kind of strange. And really, there was a long line uh, waiting you walk behind the altar, and then you go through a small door and down some steps, some very steep steps, and there you enter into a cave. And the cave is, is beneath the altar of the church, and the cave is said to be where Jesus was born. And they have a location. They have a silver star, a 14-pointed star that's there uh, in this location where they said that he uh, was actually born. And many people, and uh, all of us did, you know, kneeled down and placed our hands upon that, just remembering uh, with this uh, collective memory about Jesus' birth, a place where the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in that place. Well, about 70 miles north... Uh, you can go to modern Nazareth. And, and Nazareth is just a few miles away from the Sea of Galilee, but it's not right there by it. In fact, it's, it's right on the edge of a valley. It's on a ridge that overlooks a valley, and it's the Valley of Armageddon. Y'all have heard of that before, when the final war is going to be fought? Well, Jesus looked at that every day because Nazareth is on this ridge right over that valley. And the, the, uh, uh, the, the place there uh, is uh, uh, somewhere where you can go where they found, uh, they built a church and over the place where they found the house of Mary and Joseph. And the way that they can have an idea that this is the place is because throughout the centuries, this place was used for a place of worship. Not the other places, but this place. And so it's, uh, it was where they would be, uh, they would have a house next to a cave for the animals like everybody else did. And Joseph had his carpenter's workplace there. I remember as we were looking at it, just picturing Jesus outside the door of that, working on some, of, some carpentry project. Uh, and he was there for 30 years of his life before he went out into his ministry. And then there's the Jordan River. 
the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized. Now, the Jordan River is not much bigger than one of our bayous. You know, if you go across the, the river here, it's not like the Mississippi River, okay? It's like if you go further uh, to on the airline highway and there's the LaBranch Bayou, it's about that wide. So the waters are moving there pretty steady, though. And uh, that's where you can be baptized in those same waters where God said of Jesus, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Many of our group renewed their baptismal vows in the Jordan. We don't rebaptize, but we do allow people to renew their baptism. And uh, so uh, since Sue's not here, we're going to show hers. Let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down to the river to pray. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, come on down. Oh, sinners, let's go down, down to the river to pray. And we applauded probably about after each one. And you could see the gasp that people have as they're catching their breath and shouting hallelujah or going, wow, that's really cold. Uh, most of the time that's what, what people were doing when they gasped. But, but it, about half the group did that. And for many it was a very powerful uh, experience to be able to do that. Well, then there's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, which is it's this inland freshwater lake. It's only 13 miles long by 8 miles wide. So this is not like Lake Pontchartrain. This is where on a clear day, which we didn't have that clear of a day, but on a clear day you can see around the entire thing. So it's an inland lake. It's one of the, with the Jordan River pouring into it and the Jordan going out from it. It's one of the major sources of, um, of fresh water. Uh, the geography and the lake are the same as in Jesus' day, the same as when he sailed with his disciples. And so we took a boat ride on those waters and we stopped to pray. And uh, we also danced. I don't know that the disciples did that, but we did. Uh, because the captain led us in, in a couple of dances on his boat. But it's where Jesus walked on the water and he calmed the storm. And then on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, the house of Peter um, in the archaeological digs was discovered in Capernaum. You know, you've read about Capernaum many times in the Gospels. It's where Jesus stayed with the other disciples. It was his headquarters while he was there in, uh, next to the Sea of Galilee. He performed many miracles there at Capernaum. And the synagogue where Jesus taught, we know that this was the place, was right across the street from where Peter's house was. And you can see where some of its walls still lie directly below the 4th century synagogue that's there now, or the ruins of that. But we know that the, the basalt, the black basalt stones that are beneath that are the, the, the genuine thing. Those were the stones of the synagogue where Jesus would preach and share. Then there's when you go back up to Jerusalem, or, and you go up to Jerusalem even though it's south because it's the uh, altitude that you go. There's the side of the old city from the Mount of Olives. And, and maybe it's the, pro, it's the most inspiring look. You know, you see this panoramic look of the, the walled cities, the, the walled city that's, that's there now. And you see now the, the golden dome of the rock. It's a mosque, but it's located in the same area as where the temple was built, the temple to God that Solomon uh, built, that David planned for, that uh, 
the same location where Jesus went and taught. And so you go there and you see uh, just Jerusalem just open up before you. And um, right now there's the Dome of the Rock there, the ancient temple once stood. And you can, you can easily imagine Jesus standing there. On the, and we were on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city. And just seeing that place in the time where he wept over the city because they would not believe and they would not come to him. And so we spent some time there. We looked at the the eastern gate um, where Jesus would have entered on Palm Sunday that's now closed up. You can go to uh, pray at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. It's the only part of the temple, the Herod's Temple, that was left standing. And you can imagine what it once looked like because it has these huge stones. It's just very creative engineering as to how they put all this together and how it had to be just so amazing to these country bumpkin disciples who came to town and saw this beautiful temple that was built there and how they marveled at the architectural wonder of it all. And then there's the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And for me, probably the most important personal place for me uh, where I've felt the presence of God myself in many ways. And there you'll see in, the, uh, in a little courtyard the oldest trees uh, around. There are some trees that are 2,000 years old. Olive trees can grow to be that old the way that they grow. And so some of these may have been there even during the time of Jesus. And you enter into the, the church there and where Jesus, uh, they have the stone where Jesus prayed in agony for, for us when he was betrayed by a friend and he was arrested. You can walk the steps where Jesus was roughly led up to the house of, of the high priest Caiaphas. Uh, you can enter the ruins of Caiaphas' house uh, where Peter denied Jesus there in the courtyard, denied him three times, even knowing him. And Jesus was lowered. We forget what happens to Jesus during that trial time. When you're waiting for the high priest, you're waiting. The high priest is not waiting on you. And so Jesus was lowered into this old cistern that was used as a jail prison. And so you can walk into that place now and imagine what it was like and what Jesus must have been going through during that time. And then it's a, it's a time of, of deep prayer uh, there in that place. You can go to Antonia Fortress, where Jesus was brought for trial before the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate. Uh, we know that Pilate existed. There were evidences of him in Caesarea, where it was his headquarters. And you can go to the place there uh, at Antonia Fortress where the soldiers played what was called the king's game. And they had markings on the floor that they used as a, as a board. And they would use as the pieces the prisoners. And so they used Jesus as one of those pieces. If someone rolled the dice, the, the king would be crowned with a crown of thorns. And they would... They would, uh, but little did they know that they were actually doing this to the real King of Kings and King of the Jews. You can walk the stations of the cross over the place where Jesus must have been led through the streets of Jerusalem to the place of crucifixion, to Golgotha or Calvary, the place of the skull. And there are two sites that you can go there. Uh, they've debated over which is the authentic site, uh, the um, the site where the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is is probably the most authentic as far as archaeologists go. But it was like packed and people were pushing. And it was like, this does not feel like what Jesus would want. You know, you're trying to get to this one little exposed stone where they say is, is uh, Calvary. 
but the most inspiring and a possible site is the garden tomb. And it's a garden. It's, it's sectioned off as a garden. And it's made out into a garden because it once was the garden of a rich person, perhaps Joseph of Arimathea. It was discovered on the edge of an old rock quarry with a cliff face that resembles a skull. And in the garden, there's an empty rock-hewn tomb that's never held any remains. The place most like where Jesus was laid in death and resurrected to glorious life on Easter morning. And there we celebrated communion and sang songs of praise and thanks to God. The setting can make for a powerful experience of where you are and what happened in that place. Now, many of these places, y'all have heard me use the phrase, are thin places. They're places where, where heaven and earth seem to be very close together. And you can sense the presence of God in many ways. And people experience life-changing um, um, encounters with Christ in some of these different places. Different for everyone. Yet, there are thousands of people that go there today. I was shocked at how many people there were. We counted... 15 to 20 buses in front of just two uh, hotels, all of pilgrims that were coming to the Holy Land. And so you've got people who visit every day, and there are guides that, that do this every day, and there are gift shop clerks who work there every day, and there are people who live uh, at these sites or around these sites. They work in them, and, and their life goes on unchanged. Why is that? Don't they realize where they are? Maybe Maybe they do. Maybe our view lies in something King Solomon said at the dedication of the first temple. We were in that site, but there was no longer the temple there. And even more important, something that Jesus said later on. In 1 Kings chapter 8, 27 through 30, it says uh, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he says this, but how could God possibly live on earth? If heaven, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how can this temple that I built contain you? Lord my God, listen to your servant's prayer and request and hear the cry and prayer that your servant prays to you today. Constantly watch over this temple, the place about which you said my name will be there and listen to the prayer that your servant is praying toward this place. Listen to the request of your servant and your people Israel when they pray toward this place, which they still do today. Listen from your heavenly dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon knew that God was too great to be contained into a building or a place, yet they would pray for it, still do today, and some felt that was where God lived. In John chapter 4, when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, and they were located on another site that was considered to be holy by the Samaritans at least. And in fact, uh, the Samaritan woman almost gets, wants to get into an argument with Jesus about it. And this is what Jesus says in chapter 4 verse 19. The woman said, Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it's necessary to worship Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. 
The Father looks for those who worship Him this way. God is spirit, and it is necessary to worship God in spirit and in truth. And so the Holy Land for many can be just another religious site for you know, another special vacation like any other place in the world. The difference, comes, the difference comes when you make this a more important spiritual journey. In fact, when you make a more important spiritual journey, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. But if you make this journey, it can be more rugged and more tough than any other pilgrimage that you take. The distance isn't far It's only 18 inches, the distance from your head to your heart, where it's no longer just stuff that you know, but it's where you truly believe and you experience the presence of the living Christ, the living Son of God, right where you are. And any place becomes holy then. On one of my trips to the Holy Land on a long flight back, I wrote a poem called The Journey. Uh, please, I'm not a poet, but um, there's a lot of mixed meter, mixed rhyme, free verse. Uh, so there's a little bit of a taste of everything in this. But please uh, hear the, the intent of, of the poem. I traveled to a holy land, a journey far to Bethlehem, where star had led and angels sang my blessed Savior's birth. I entered cave and manger saw the manger stone, the silver star, where stories claim he laid his head, but lo, he was not there. My heart led next to Nazareth, where as a child he learned a trade, to work with skill in stone and wood, feel joy in what he made. I did not see young Mary fair, nor Joseph with his workshop tools, to his only cars and souvenirs. The child was found nowhere." I pressed my search to Galilee, where fishing boats still sail the sea, where Jesus spoke his words of grace on gentle sloping shores, where miracles he multiplied, the loaves and fish healed anguished pain. I listened for his words of truth, but only echoes rang. I followed to Jerusalem from Olive's Mount to Triumph Den, to Supper Last and Friend Betrayed, where places where I looked for him. I viewed his place of suffering, the mocking torture of my king, the places, too, where crucified he gave his life for me. But there's no cross where I might stand to comfort him and wipe his brow, to see the blood drip from his hand. There's only church or bus stop now. I wander to the tomb of stone, where dead and cold they laid him down, where rock had sealed disciples' dreams, with death his only crown. I lived again that Easter morn, the resurrected Christ arose, in glory and in light adorned, my Savior, King, and risen Lord. Yet now no glory light shines forth, an empty tomb with well-worn path, with crowds of Christians singing songs, He is not here, says door sign plaque. If he's not here, then where is he? I traveled ocean, land, and sea to find the one God's only son and know he cares for me. Then in the last place I would look, I heard a voice both low and clear. It was my Jesus in my heart assuring, I am here. I looked for him in places wide, but in no place does he abide. Those he's, though he's the Lord of earth and sea, 
He makes his home inside of me. Before you travel to the Holy Land in Israel to feel closer to Jesus, be sure you've made that other journey first from head to heart where the living Christ awaits you there. Let's close. Well, let's go to our time of communion. And let's go with, to the Lord in a word of prayer. Lord, there are many places that you said we would meet you. You said, go to Galilee and I will meet you there. You said you would meet us here at the breaking of bread and the drinking of the wine in remembrance of you. And so we come here to this thin place this morning, Lord. We pray that we would recognize it as a place that we can draw closer to you than perhaps any other place. And that as we partake of this bread and drink of this wine, that they might remind us of your presence, that we might experience your presence in this sacrament. Because it was on the night in which you were betrayed that you were there with your disciples in the upper room. And you broke the bread there. And you gave it to your disciples after blessing it. And you said, eat this, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, you took the cup. Blessing it, you gave it to your disciples. And you said, drink this, all of you. Drink all of this. For this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, we come to this, your table, recognizing that it's not our own worthiness that enables us to come here, but it's your grace, what you did for us on the cross, the forgiveness that you offer to us in these moments. And so, Lord, we lay our sins down before you. We take up the bread and wine and experience your presence perhaps in a new way this morning. This is a holy place. This is a holy land where we are because you are here. We pray this as we consecrate these elements in your name. We pray this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. This time if there are those who are going to be assisting, if you'll please come at this time. We do remind you that in the United Methodist Church that um, 